Turn your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, make your way to verse 21. As you're turning there, a couple of quick things I want to remind you by way of what you heard. It's easy to sometimes listen to the announcements but not really get it. There will be no service here Wednesday night, okay? Because we're getting ready for trunk or treat, which is Thursday night. So no meal, no service this Wednesday night. I also want to let the men know that we still could use some help as waiters for the Festival of Tables. This is uh, our ladies have this neat event on Saturday evening, November the 16th. Have a special guest speaker, have a wonderful meal. But we, the men, have the opportunity to wait on them as the wait staff. And so I signed Andrew and myself up uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we still need about 20 more waiters that can help us with that. So if you wouldn't mind to do that, it's, it's from about 4 o'clock on that Saturday afternoon till about 9 o'clock. About five hours we get to say to the ladies here at Mount Pleasant, you're special, we love you, we're going to take care of you. So if you can help with that, go online or via the app and sign up for that. And we'll certainly appreciate it. Today's message is going to be, I believe, a message of relief. Relief. I believe as we go along, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to say at some point, yes, what a relief. Relief, I, I was thinking about as in preparation of the message that uh, we're in the uh, World Series now, and the Astros and the Nats are playing series tied again 2-2, and, and, and how important it is once you get into those latter innings of having a good one of these to come in and finish the game. What, what is that pitcher known as? The relief pitcher. He comes in and seals the deal. Wants to finish the game with a win. Relief. You know how that feels. Relief. It's when the lab report comes back and you find out it's not cancer. Whew. Relief. It's when, young person, you know how this goes. Maybe you hadn't totally studied for that test like you needed to, and the teacher hands it back, and you passed. Whoo! Relief. Maybe it's uh, wintertime, and you weren't paying attention and hit a patch of black ice and started spinning around, and you were out of control. But all of a sudden, the car ends up pointed back in the right direction. You've hit nothing. Everybody's safe. Whew. Relief. It's a beautiful thing. Relief. Today, I believe we're going to see the greatest relief that the human heart and the human soul can ever experience. And that is the fact that we can be reconciled back to God. The fact that we can be forgiven of our sin and we can be saved and know we're going to heaven and not to hell. That is relief. And I hope you'll feel that and experience that today. Colossians chapter 1, you've made your way there. Go to verse number 21. And you, this is speaking of us, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he, that's Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, think of the cross, in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The title of this morning's message is How to Come to God. And that title can really be shortened and summed up in one word, Reconciliation. 
to come to God, we must have a way to get to God, but we have a problem. We're sinners. And in our sin, we cannot come before a holy and righteous God because we're incapable. We just read that word reconcile in verse 22. In fact, we saw it last week. Would you jump back up to verse 20? We saw it last week in verse 20. And through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile, there it is, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now remember, church family, Jesus is one of us. He came to this earth by way of a birth, just like you, just like me. Jesus born to a virgin in Bethlehem. So, as I've said many times, at this very moment in heaven, Jesus has a belly button, just like you. Jesus is God. When he came to this earth, Jesus represented God in a human body. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Remember this from last week? See the chart? Listen, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But if you go to the middle and you see God there in the middle, God in the red circle, God is top left the Father, God is top right the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. God is one, yet He exists in three persons. And we actually saw this, whether we realize it or not, when Matthew gives the account of Jesus' baptism. You'll see Jesus being baptized. And Matthew the Apostle recorded what was seen and what was heard at Jesus' baptism. Now keep that image in your mind. The baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is baptizing him. And this is what the Bible describes, Matthew describes. And when Jesus, Matthew 3.16, was baptized, immediately he came up out of the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God, that's the third person of the Trinity, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven that's his father the first person of the trinity this is my beloved son he said with whom I am well pleased and so right there you have the trinity God the father speaking from heaven God the son coming up out of the water and God the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus three and yet they are one and so why did Jesus come because you and I have a belly button. That's why. Listen, you did not have a choice in deciding whether or not you were going to be a sinner. You are a sinner. You were born a sinner and you didn't have a choice in it. I say it over and over again. Moms and dads understand this about their kids. You got a little child. You got a little two-year-old. They don't have to be taught how to be bad. They know how to be bad. You've got to teach them how to be good. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And we cannot get to God on our own. Think about it. Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And he shouts out these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened at that moment in heaven? Jesus is on the cross. God is in heaven. Jesus is crying out, why have you forsaken me? What did God do? He turned his back on his son. Why? 
Why would he do that? Sin. He could not look upon his son because your sin, my sin, literally the sin of the world was on Jesus. And God turned his back on him. And Jesus said, my God, you have forsaken me. Jesus took that for you. He took that for me. We're talking about belly buttons and Jesus. Why? Because we're in the book of Colossians. See, there were false teachers, heretics, who were teaching that Jesus never had a human body. And they said that he didn't have a human body and he was some kind of spirit emanating and he was not God. And so Paul had to set them straight. And we saw that last week in verse 19. We saw the fact that Paul says, no, Jesus had a body and he embodied God. Watch it. Colossians 1.19, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus on this earth was a human and yet he was God. And at this moment in heaven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has a belly button. He's fully human and yet he's fully God. It's called the hypostatic union. We saw that last week. Listen, Jesus came to this earth to satisfy the sin debt that I could not satisfy in my flesh. You're a sinner. Even if you committed just one sin in your entire life, that's enough to still damn your soul to hell. That's why the Bible is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to take that sin, whether it's one, Lord knows we know it's more than that in our lives, right? Or the many upon himself so that we might be brought back into relationship with God. Church, before I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I stood before God as an enemy. Did you know that? I was part of the kingdom of darkness. I was part of the kingdom of Satan. Unbelievers. But when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I confessed and repented of my sin, called on the name of Jesus to save me, save me. I stand here today and I tell you, I am a child of God. I am a son of the King. I am royalty. And so are you. And so I'm not going to hell. Wow, what a relief. You know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop. You remember, what was that? Alka-Seltzer. You know, you've been hurting for three hours. I mean, the heartburn's killing you. You put a couple of, a couple of those in the water. You drink that thing down. Wait for it. Oh, oh, what a relief. You say you're being silly. Listen, I just want you to feel relieved because some of you are sitting out there going, If you're a child of God, you're going to heaven. Come on. Relief. Jesus came and died so that I might be a child of the king. That means I'm joint heirs with Jesus. I get what he gets. It's a gift. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? But the punishment, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you get saved? How do you receive a gift? Think of your birthday. 
Do you earn your birthday gift? No. Think of Christmas. Think of Christmas, think of snow. Do you earn those? No. You just get them. And what do you do with them? You open them. You receive them. Jesus is a gift. You couldn't do anything to earn Jesus. And he died for your sin so that you might have life. Let me make sure we understand this. Through Jesus, what was lost in the Garden of Eden because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve can be regained through Jesus. What was lost in the Garden of Eden? Our relationship with God. Our ability to commune with our Creator. Remember, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Remember? Now, personally, I believe that that was actually Jesus Christ and the second person of the Trinity doing that. I don't believe God the Father's ever been to earth. I believe it's always Jesus in a pre-incarnate theophany. Jesus, he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, look like the Son of God's in there. Right? Jesus was with Abraham. Abraham and Sarah fed them, showed hospitality, him and a couple other angels. Be that as it may, you can believe what you want to believe. But the point was, is that God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day until they did something. What did they do? They ate the forbidden fruit. Now, please don't say it was an apple because you show your ignorance. It doesn't say it was an apple. It says they ate the forbidden fruit. That looks like a hand grenade to me. (laughs) Might as well have been because it blew everything up. It blew everything up. What Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden... They, they had free will. They got to choose whether or not they would obey God or disobey God. And they chose to disobey. And because of that, if you've got a belly button, and you do, you're a sinner. You were born that way. And because of that, you cannot enter the presence of God because He's holy and we're not. And so we've got to have a way to come before God, to be reconciled. And the only way that can happen is through Jesus Adam and Eve ruined it for not only us, but the entire universe. Did you know that? You're what? I want to show it to you. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Go back about three or four books, three or four letters to Romans chapter 8. As you're turning to Romans 8, you know Genesis 1-1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He did not create the other planets and the stars until day four of creation week. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and right there it is, earth before Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter, any of it. Heavens, earth. The earth is the apple of God's eye. It is where He created human beings. So if you're waiting for E.T. to phone home, it ain't going to happen. E.T. phone home. E.T. You're looking for extraterrestrials. There aren't any. God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. They can look for water on Mars until the cows come home. doesn't matter if they find water on Mars. It doesn't prove anything. God created humanity on earth. And guess where God's coming back to? Earth. 
It's going to create a new Jerusalem. It's going to come down out of heaven. It's going to come right back down to earth. And God's going to make His dwelling place with God and man. Guess where? On the new earth. You tracking? When Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, they, they messed it up for the entire universe. I want to show this to you. You made your way there. Romans 8, pick up in verse 19. Now watch this. For the creation. See the word creation? If you look it up in the Greek, that means all that we know. The cosmos. That means the universe. So if it helps you, just say universe. Okay? Read it that way. For the universe waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's speaking of us. When we, we are glorified. For the creation, if it helps, put the word universe there, was subjected to futility, not willingly, wasn't it universe's fault, but because of him, that's mankind who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free, break every chain, break every chain, from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's almost anthropomorphically like the universe wants to experience what we're experiencing as children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation, the whole universe has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the universe, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The entire universe is breaking down. You remember we talked about this star last week? Remember Beetlejuice. I love saying that. Beetlejuice. That's how you pronounce that star's name. 880 quadrillion miles from here. Quadrillion is what you get after trillion. That's mind-boggling. Beetlejuice is dying. So is the sun. So is the earth. So are all the planets and the stars. Why? Because they are part of the whole creation of verse 22, and that means they are cursed just like we are. Listen, the entire universe is living under the curse of Adam and Eve. We are all groaning under the weight of sin. But it's not always going to be this way. <laughs> Whew, that's great. Because one day all of creation will be set free from the bondage of sin. What a relief. I want you to think about this with me. I want you to think about what's going to happen to this earth. I want you to think about this whole idea of sin being alienated, separated from God. And the way we, I want you to see that is by way of future prophecy. Turn your Bibles to the book of the Revelation. Book of the Revelation. Please don't ever say it's the Revelations. Turn to the book of the Revelations. No, it's not. It's one revelation. The revealing of whom? Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. The book of the Revelation is all about revealing and unveiling the fact that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe. You got that in your head? You're going to Revelation chapter 6. Now as you're turning, we're going to be talking about judgment. Because what we're going to see are judgments. See, when Jesus came to this earth the first time, He came as a lamb. Died on the cross. Slaughtered. When He comes the second time, He's coming as the lion of Judah. He's coming in power. And for those who have rejected him, there will be wrath. And this bothers people. Oh, he shouldn't do that. Why not? 
He died on the cross. He gave His life so that we might be set free from our sin and live the life that God has designed for us. Stop for a moment. Look at me. Some of you are still trying to live life in your own power and in your own strength, and it's all about you. Sorry to tell you that. Sorry to burst your bubble, your Alka-Seltzer bubble, but it's all about you. It's all about your money. It's all about your stuff. So let's say you get all that, okay? Let's go ahead and see that to the end, all right? Go ahead and see, see yourself in an $800,000 house paid for. See yourself driving the fancy cars and having all the good stuff. So you got all that. You got all that. You got everything you could ever fathom. You be Solomon. Then what? You die. Remember we talked about it last week? I'm not going to do it because it would hurt too bad. But if I were to pull out an eyelash and it's there on the end of my finger, your eyelash, my eyelash represents my life compared to the universe. The universe represents eternity. And that still doesn't do it justice. Because how long is eternity? Forever. Forever. I watched a video, a documentary this week, uh, Andrew and I did, about the life of Steve Jobs. You know Steve Jobs? You got an Apple phone? That's him. Watched it, and it was actually uh, kind of uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates with Microsoft were coming up at the same time, right? They were battling each other. Who's the richest man in the world, right? Steve Jobs. He's dead now, you know. Where is he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to judge. I want to judge. Let me tell you about the judging thing again. I want to say this over and over again, especially people that are watching. When people say, judge not lest you judge thyself, that's quoting in the King James, don't you judge me, don't you judge me. Listen, when somebody says to you, don't judge me, they're actu they actually know they're living wrong. They actually are. Okay? You be frank and I'll be earnest. We'll get serious about this. Okay? Don't judge me. Okay? You're living wrong. All right? Because you shouldn't have a problem for somebody else to look at your life and say, hey, I'm trying to help you. Okay? Okay? You know what? The, you know what that, that they're quoting Matthew 7, 1. Verse 2 says, for with the measure that you use to judge, it'll be measured back to you. So all that Jesus, and he's the one that said it on the Sermon on the Mount, was saying is, when you judge someone, not if you judge, but when you judge to determine whether or not somebody's a believer, don't you have to make a judgment to determine if somebody's saved, to determine whether or not you should share the gospel? Yes, duh. You have to make a judgment to ascertain the fact whether or not they're born again. True. So to know whether you should share the gospel. So here's the thing. If you judge, and when you judge, just use the same ruler. If you're going to give yourself 12 inches, give them 12 inches. But here's what we want to do. We want to take a mile and give them a half an inch. And Jesus said that's wrong. That's the whole plank in your eye and speck in your eye. You know, you're trying to pick out the speck in the guy's eye, and you got a two-by-four in your eye. That's what it's talking about. So here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to this idea of judgment, God is a good and righteous judge. And He penalizes those who refuse to accept what He did by way of His Son on the cross. And so if you choose to go through judgment, that's on you. You've actually chosen your way of life. Listen, Steve Jobs, before he died, you know what religion he followed? Anybody know? He's a Buddhist. He started out Hindu, and he, he ended up being a Buddhist. So where is he? 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God except through me. I'm just asking you, what do you believe? Do you believe the truth of the Scripture and who Jesus is? What do you believe? What shall it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You're living in eyelash, people, <laughs> compared to the rest of the universe. You're taking your life and your eternity in your own hands. And some of you sitting here today and you're lost, and you know you're lost. You've never invited Christ in your life. You've never gone public. And if you died this afternoon, you're going to hell forever. Forever you never get out. And oh, how you would wish. Oh, if I just had another chance. One more Sunday at Mount Pleasant. One more opportunity to give my life to Christ. And you'll think about that forever. What are you waiting on? I mean, right now where you sit, if I wasn't saved, I would say, Jesus, save me. It's better than plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. You're being silly. No, I'm not. I swear, some people would rather get, they'd rather get rid of their indigestion than their sin. Because they're okay with their sin. They're okay with their life. And Satan has blinded you and convinced you that somehow if you can just, you know, just wait long enough, maybe one day you'll, you'll give it up. Maybe, maybe one day you'll truly follow Jesus. And Jesus is looking over the balcony of heaven and going, mm, wow, my plan is a whole lot better than that deal you're doing right now. I really have a better plan than that. See his hands? Have it your way. Have it your way. Those hands have nail prints. That's what he did. He died so that you might be delivered from your sin and have eternal life. But that eternal life begins now. Eternal life began the moment that you received Christ because you never truly die. Oh, you, you'll, you'll go through death, but it's a shadow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Judgment. You've made your way to Revelation 6. And I want to show you a picture. This is, a, this is an artist's depiction one day of what's going to happen on this earth. Those are stars hitting the earth during what is known as the tribulation period. Because at any moment, the Lord Jesus can call the church off of this earth. At any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this thing called the rapture, the snatching off of the earth, the church. The Lord Jesus comes in the air. There's a trumpet, and he calls us up. And we leave this earth, and we go to heaven, the church, his followers. But on this earth, seven years of tribulation breaks out. Judgment upon the earth. And I told you the universe is dying and falling apart. Literally, it's hastened during the tribulation period. And this is what we're going to read. Because in Revelation chapter 6, the Lord Jesus has got a scroll, and he's pulling back the seals. There's seven of them. And he gets to the sixth seal and he pops it. And here's exactly what happens. You ready? Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 12. When Jesus opened the sixth seal, I, that's John the apostle, looked. And behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. That's it for the sun. That's it. 
The full moon became like blood. And the, watch it. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Did you, did you hear the wind this morning about 6 o'clock? Verse 14. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. The sky be rolled back as a scroll. What is that song? It is well with my soul. One day the sky is going to roll back like a scroll. A scroll. Can you imagine that? Now watch this. Every mountain. How many mountains? Every mountain. An island was removed from its place. You talk about tumult. Not since the great flood of Noah's day has this earth been shaken like this. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free, that's everybody. They hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Who is that? Who is the lamb? Jesus. For the great day, oh, of there. Don't miss the word there. That's the Holy Spirit the Son and the Father has come, and who can stand that? Sounds bad, doesn't it? That's what sin does, people. Sin is going to bring judgment even to this earth. Sin wrecks the universe and it wrecks lives. But at the end of all these judgments, you know Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? At the end of the tribulation period, that seven years, Jesus comes back at the end of the battle of Armageddon. And what's he going to do? He's going to keep his promise to the nation of Israel. And what was that? That he would rule and reign from the throne of David, from the city of Jerusalem for how long? Anybody know? A thousand years. It's called the millennial reign. You can read all about it in Revelation chapter 19, or Revelation chapter 20. The thousand-year millennial reign. And it's during the millennial reign that Jesus begins the process of reversing the curse. This, this is a phenomenal thing. And, and I want you to be able to see this. But in order to see it, I want to take you to the prophecy of what the earth is going to be like during that thousand years. Did you know we have prophecy about what it's going to be like? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. I know I'm having you turn a lot, but you can do it. Isaiah 11. Do you bring your Bibles? I mean, do you go to algebra class without your book? Come on, man. Come on, lady. Come on, bring your Bible. You say, well, you put it on the screen. I get that. But there's something about having it in your hand. Because you might actually could take some notes. You might actually could write something down. Think about that. Huh. I'm actually here to learn something. Yes, it's a cool thing. Isaiah chapter 11. This is a description of the millennial kingdom. All right, you ready? Here we go. Verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse? That was David's father, right? This is a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus being born from the family of David. Remember, Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, right? And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Verse 2, and the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this is during the Millennial Kingdom. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus. Jesus will have the Spirit of wisdom and all understanding. He'll have the Spirit of counsel and might. Jesus during the Millennial Kingdom will have the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus shall not judge by what His eyes see or decide disputes by what His ears hear because He already knows everything. 
We lie all the time. Jesus doesn't have to see any evidence. And during the millennial kingdom, there will be people who will live, be living through that, and Jesus already knows. He will be the judge. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor, verse 4, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness, verse 5, shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now watch verse 6, and see if you kind of have an idea of when this happened before. Verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. What is that? You put a wolf and a lamb together today, what's the wolf going to do to the lamb? Oh, what big eyes you have. You know, little red riding hood and the big bad wolf. When did this ever happen that the wolf and the lamb could be together and not devour each other? Garden of Eden. You remember Adam and Eve? They named the animals. You remember? And they were not afraid of the animals. When did the fear and dread of man come upon the animals? Genesis chapter 9 when they got off the ark. Because if there had been fear and dread of the animals on the ark, it had been kind of a messy, buddy place on the ark, wouldn't it? The animals didn't hurt one another. They didn't hurt each other in the Garden of Eden. And did you catch that part? The little child shall lead them. Look at verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. What does a lion eat? Anything it wants. In the animal kingdom, who is king? The lion. A lion is a carnivore. They eat meat. What did they eat in the garden? Grass. Green grass. So did the dinosaurs. So did the bears. Lions, tigers, bears. They all ate grass. That was exactly how it was intended from the beginning until the earth was destroyed by a flood. What's happening here in the millennial kingdom? We're seeing the reversal of the curse beginning. Watch what else happens. Verse 8, the nursing child shall play, what? Over the hole of the cobra. You're kidding me. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, play with, uh, around the snake's den, and they shall not be hurt or destroyed in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Jesus, just as the waters cover the sea. That's the millennial kingdom. And in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him, Jesus, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The millennial kingdom. The reversal of the curse has begun. You know, church, one day there will be a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, and we will be fully reconciled to God. We will finally be on the other side. You know how we say, well, we'll understand it all better in the by and by. Everything will be better on the other side. Well, one day on the new earth, the other side will have become this side. When we're with Jesus and all things are made new, whew, what a relief. And you know what is more? Jesus is going to present us as his bride without spot, stain, wrinkle, or blemish. Go back to Colossians 1 see this now. You say, what is the point of all this? Here's the point. 
We've been alienated from God because of sin, and sin destroys even the entire universe. And it was never God's design for that. God never designed. Listen, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would have never died. God would have just come back and forth from heaven to earth and been with us. Colossians 1.21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Notice how he said there, in the body. Paul said in the body, because see, these heretics were disputing the fact that Jesus was born as a human being. Right there he says he was. Jesus came to this earth because of sin to make things right. And if you believe on Him, then one day you will stand before God holy, blameless, and above reproach. God does not want us to walk in sin. Are you walking in sin? Are you living in sin right now? Whatever that is, you've placed above God. That's your God. And it can even be something good. It can be some hobby or some talent that you have. God gave that to you for Him, for His glory. Use that for His glory. One day we'll stand before God, those that know Him by way of His Son Jesus, cleansed forever. All chains broken. <laughs> what a relief. That's Romans 5, verse 1. I want you to see this. Don't turn there. Just listen to it. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Stop there for a moment. Justified. What does it mean to be justified in Christ? Look at the word. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. You want to know what it means to be justified in Christ? It's just as if I'd never sinned. When I receive Christ by faith... He cleanses me, and it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. Sounds good, Kevin. Y'all want to go eat? Y'all want to get out of here? You need an Alka-Seltzer? Do you... Do you remember what it felt like to be saved? Were you relieved? you remember what it felt like to know that you've been born again? For so many of us, we've forgotten. We're just more happy about other things. I was watching the end of the Duke Carolina game, football game yesterday with my son-in-law, who's here in the room. Of course, I love him so much, but... He pulls for devils. I just, I just, I don't, just don't get it. And he even admitted, I don't like those helmets. The, the devils look really pronounced. I'm like, yeah, you're getting there, Josh. You're getting there. And uh, we were watching the game. And Did y'all see the end of that game? That's the dumbest play I have ever seen in my life. Duke had the game won. Quarterback pitches it back to the running back, and the running back tried to do the Tim Tebow where he jumps and then passes the ball in the end zone to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to one of the receivers. I guess it was the tight end. And he just threw it right into the arms of one of the linebackers. The linebacker for Carolina goes, dang, okay, okay, and fell down, and that was the game. And Josh looked at me and he goes, what was that? What was that? And I, I mean, I hated it for him, but I felt relieved. Because my team won. I swear, 
sometimes we get more excited about a ball game than about our salvation. Do you know who intercepted you from the kingdom of darkness? Jesus. And he did it with spread arms on a place called Calvary. Watch it now. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That means we can live today and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's our future glorification in heaven. That means you've got enough grace right now in Christ to live today. And then you'll have enough grace tomorrow to live tomorrow. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't look to us to clean ourselves up and scrub our faces and take a bath before he agreed to send his son to die for us? <laughs> Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. That's Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us knowing we would be doing evil deeds right now. That sin that you've placed above Jesus, he died for that too. No one can ever say, well, I'm lost because God didn't do enough for me. No, that's wrong. God did everything for you. He sent his son for you. He watched his son slaughtered for you. He turned his back on his son for you. What more do you want him to do? No, people remain lost because they want to remain lost, because they would rather have their sin than Jesus. That's it. So, live your eyelash and do it your way, okay? Get all you can while you can, put it in a can and spin it before you kick the can. That's the American dream, by the way. Get all you can while you can, put it in a can and spin it before you kick the can. It's all about me, how much I can get, how much material possessions I can have. The more I get, you know, the more you get, the more you want. If I gave you $100, you'd go, man, it'd be nice if you'd give me 200 you understand what I'm saying? Grandma gives you 50. You're like, where's the Ben? Come on now. Come on, Mama. Come off the hip now. Where's old Benjamin? We always want more. Do we not? Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? How can you tell? You'll continue in the faith. Watch verse 23. Colossians 1, 23. If indeed, you want to know how you're a Christian? If you're a Christian, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Church, this is called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It means you and I will continue in the faith. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't ever sin again. Of course, that's not true. But it does mean that you'll run through the tape like my... My example I've shown you several times, that's Worknesh Degafa from Ethiopia. She won the Boston Marathon back last spring. Do you think she was relieved when she ran through the tape after 26 miles? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Apostle Paul described the end of his life the same way. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In John 8.30, the Apostle John described the fact that many were believing in Jesus. See the screens, John 8.30. 
as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Do you believe in Jesus? In other words, have you given to believe in, in this case, means to give your life to. It means that you are going to look to Jesus. You're going to read Scripture and follow the teachings and principles of Jesus. You're going to orient your life around what Jesus tells you to do. To believe in means you put full trust in. I've done this many times before. I believe in this chair. But listen, do I really believe in this chair? How do you know I believe in this chair? You say, sit on it. Mm -mm. Because you don't have your full trust in your chair either. Now do I believe in the chair? How much of me? All of me. Some of you, I'm just being honest. You trust in Jesus about like me standing here saying I trust in that chair. You've not placed your full weight on Him. You've not placed your life in Him. You're just walking around a chair. You, just be honest. You know you're going to walk out of here and you're going to go right back to doing what you've been doing. I'm glad you came today because you're being hit with the truth of the gospel, the good news that you can walk in power and strength. I'm telling you, Jesus looks over the balcony of heaven and he goes, oh, if they would just trust me, what I have for them. doesn't mean you're going to be rich. I'm not talking about money. When you hear me say, oh, what I have for them, you're thinking about some prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not talking about that. You might get poorer. It might actually help you to get poorer. But you will trust in Christ and not yourself. And you will lay your head on your pillow at night and there will be a peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 6, that will guard your heart and mind. And some of you have got a lot of money, but you ain't got any peace. Pardon the poor grammar. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him if you abide that means remain in my word that means run to the finish you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will break every chain break every chain set you free i close this morning by telling this story i've told this story before but I don't have another one that works any better, and perhaps some of you haven't heard it before. Years ago when I was a boy, I was 11 or 12, I loved to squirrel hunt behind my house in the woods. We lived on, and still do, about 17 acres of family land. One evening I went hunting, and <laughs> I knew not to go deep into the woods, but I got chasing a squirrel. <clears throat> and the next thing you know, I, I, look, I, I, I was like, oh my goodness. Um, has that ever happened to you? I absolutely was totally lost. I had, I had no idea where I was. I was so far, I had never been that far back in the woods. I didn't know which way to go. And it was getting dark. I was absolutely petrified. Well... Not only was it getting dark, it was getting cold. And dumb me, I hadn't put on a coat either. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I started shivering. I started crying. And I started praying. I was hunting with a double-barrel 16-gauge shotgun. I thought, I'll fire both barrels. Bang, front trigger, bang, back trigger. 
and I began to holler. And I hollered and hollered until I had no voice left. And nobody came. I knew enough from what my dad had taught me that if you ever get lost in the woods, I remember him saying, son, if you ever get lost in the woods, stop moving. Just be still. Because if you keep moving, you might just wander farther off in the woods and it'll make it harder to find you. I, I could hear him saying in my mind, stay put, son. So I sat down against a tree. I pulled my knees up to my chest to keep me warmer. And I waited. And I waited for what seemed like the hours. It was probably more like 45 minutes. But it was almost pitch dark. And then I heard a voice. Kevin! Kevin! Church, what do you think I felt? One word might describe it. Relief! Oh my goodness! Daddy! Daddy! And then I thought, oh Lord, I'm in trouble. Oh, I'm like, Daddy, are you are you going to spank me? You going to? He goes, Son, what you've been through, you've you've experienced enough. He said, I don't think this will ever be a problem again. Believe me, it was never an issue again. We came out of those woods, and by the time we came out of the woods, it was dark. But we came down the hill, and there was our house, and I could see inside the kitchen window, Mama was fixing supper. And I was overwhelmed by relief. I'm walking with my dad, coming home. See, think of it this way. Those woods, that's the woods of your sin. That's the kingdom of darkness. And your heavenly Father sent Jesus, and He is looking for you. And He is calling out your name. He's calling out your name. Just listen for Him. Listen for Him. Your life is an eyelash, people. Listen, He's got a plan for you. He's designed your life for His glory. And there's joy in that. That's better than what you're trying to live right now, I promise you. Take it by way of testimony. I implore you today to find this relief that you can only find in Christ. I want to ask you to bow with me. Would you do that? I've asked Pastor Brad to come, and he's going to play what we were singing earlier, that song, Break Every Chain. And, and as, as, as we sit here in the quietness of this moment, I just, I just want you to be still. You said, I have, do I have to close my eyes? I, I couldn't care less. I just want you to think for a second. Do you know Jesus? Are you born again? That's the most important question that you'll ever answer. Receive Him by faith. Let Him take you from the woods of sin into freedom to a table set for you. Maybe you're here today and you prayed some prayer way back when, but you know in your heart that you're not living for Him. And right where you sit, you need to decide right now, am I going to live for Jesus or not? Just be honest. It's just you and the Lord. What are you living for? What is it that you're trying to have in your life to satisfy you? Joy comes in Christ not the stuff of this earth. Maybe you're here today 
and you're in a situation where you yourself need to come to the place where you recognize that Jesus is your only hope. Would you just speak that to him? Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe you came to this earth to make right what we lost in the garden. I believe that my life can only have joy and purpose if I trust you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. There are some sitting in this room and them looking pretty is more important than what you have for them. There are some sitting in this room that being popular or being well-liked has become preeminent in their lives. They'd rather have a few hearts or likes on Instagram than they would to follow you. That's a lie. There, there's, Father, I pray for the adult sitting here that's trying to decide whether or not they're going to do the right thing, the ethical thing. It's not unlawful, but what they're doing is unethical. The way they're living their life is unethical. It's wrong for their family. And it's wrong by anybody else's account. But somehow they've convinced their minds, they've allowed Satan to twist their thinking to where they're okay with some sort of aberrant lifestyle. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, break those chains. Break them. Holy Spirit, speak to that heart that is so hard that sits here every Sunday and listens to these messages over and over again. And they, they, they've yet to come to a place that they'll surrender. And they're just, they're just so stoic in their spirit. God, break them in Jesus' name. Please speak to the heart that has gotten so hardened and so calloused that they've believed that they cannot come back to you. That's a lie. Father, I pray for each life that's in this room, whether it's a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a grandma, a grandpa, I pray in Jesus' name we would not walk out of this room and not decide for you. Your word teaches all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We must acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. Tell God, I'm a sinner, I know it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. Open it. Why in the world would you have a gift sitting on a table wrapped in a bow in pretty wrapping paper and you not open the thing? It's got your name on it. Open it. Inside is Jesus. Brown hair, brown eyes, brown beard. He's alive. He's a person. He's not just some historical figure. He's a person. You can talk to him, and his spirit will bear witness with your spirit and guide your life. Receive him by faith. Call on his name right where you see it. Save me, Jesus. Tell him. Save me. If you're here today, keep your heads bowed just for a moment. We're almost done. If you're here today, and you're to that place in your life that you're ready to receive Jesus, I invite you to go to our decision room. It's just right in the right back corner. If you don't want to go inside the room, we've got chairs in the back. You can, your family can see you. They can wait on you. We want to have time with you. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you've somehow jumped off the chair and you're trying to walk this thing in your own strength, Lord, I pray that you might be drawn back to Jesus. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for stirring hearts. I pray that no one would walk out of here and not make a decision, because the truth is they will. They'll either decide to follow you, or they'll, dis they'll, they'll just put it off. And a decision to put it off is a decision to say no. And then if they die, I heard Charles Stanley say it this morning, 6.50 this morning, 
You're not promised another tomorrow. If they die, they're going to face wrath. Today they get grace. Today they get mercy. We die in our sin, we get wrath. I pray for the soul that needs to be saved, that they'll make that walk to that room. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence. I pray you'll use us for your glory. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.